You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Sometimes there are those movies that come along when you're reading about them and the people who are in them and the idea behind them and the director and everybody involved. You're like, man, this thing is like the ultimate. I don't see a way this could go wrong. Not realizing is what you're describing is basically the Titanic, right? Because like anything that's like that seems that iceberg proof, somebody's going to throw an iceberg at it. In this case, the bubble throws the bubble at it. But I'm not going to get into two specifics about why I feel that way yet. I'll just say, here's the pitch. Judd Apatow goes back to his more goofier, earlier comic phase, which, you know, is my favorite Judd Apatow period. He gets a cast with Karen Gillan, Fred Armisen, Maria Bakalova, who was, by the way, in Borat 2, played the daughter to much acclaim and awards. David Duchovny, Keegan-Michael Key, Leslie Mann, Kate McKinnon, Pedro Pascal, Guz Khan, Peter Serafinowicz, and many, many others. A bunch of actors making a movie during COVID that is a big budget film, and the whole thing is sort of a satire stand-up Hollywood thing, like a Tropic Thunder, if you will, but set during COVID times. Man, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Yeah, it does sound amazing. What a great idea for a movie that's already been made a few times, except for the COVID part. But there are more films about Hollywood and like Hollywood making fun of itself that are terrible than there are ones that are good. But the ones that are good always give me so much hope that there's going to be another one on the list that's also good. Yeah. When's the next The Player? Well, we had State in Maine. That was State in Maine was a great one. The David Mamet one from 2000. It was okay. Oh, well. It was, it was not great. It was good. Okay. It was no the player. Come on. It was no the player. There's only going to be one player, Chris. I mean, come on. Oh, that was just brilliant. That was a moment in time. Well, let me talk about who's here to talk about the bubble. I'm Chris. Joining me is Rose. Hello. Neil. Hey. And Frank. Hello, hello. All right. So the story here, it starts off feeling like it's going to be mainly focusing on one person, Carol Cobb, played by uh, Karen Gillan, Doctor Who actress, and now I guess Marvel actress, who missed a film in the series of Cliff Beasts which apparently started as sort of a Jurassic Park level type big blockbuster hit, but since has devolved quite a bit into silliness. The last one was Cliff Beast 5, but now she's been talked into during COVID times for returning for Cliff Beast 6, Battle for Everest, Memories of a Requiem. (laughs) <laughs> everyone's kind of pissed at her because she like they felt like she kind of abandoned us because she wanted to go do her own thing which was a big budget film where she played a what was a half israeli half palestine yeah. <laughs> we got totally panned and so now she's like okay well i guess i'm doing this but she has to go along with all these other actors several of which i've listed here and they have to go into this giant fucking castle and quarantine for several weeks first before they can even make the movie and then deal with a brand new director 
played by Fred Armisen, with a producer played by Peter Serafinowicz, and lots of other people who are being troublesome from the outside, including a cute role as Kate McKinnon as sort of a sadistic studio executive who, <laughs> who zooms in from the outside every once in a while to say, do this no matter what. Some of the people here are the hotel staff who are themselves kind of just enjoying schadenfreude at everybody else's misery through this thing. A lot of people have previous relationships, like David Duchovny and Leslie Mann previously been married apparently a couple times, and they're one of those things like every time they get together, they start fucking and get back together, and then they get mad at each other and split. <laughs> this is a reoccurring issue. But yeah, they all have their own issues. Pedro Pascal is like... The one guy who I guess actually had something that he won an award for, and he's holding on to that, but he's a serious sex and hard drugs addict. Fred Armisen, the director, was a former indie filmmaker who's just going to get this done no matter what, because he does not want to go back to making films on his iPhone. <laughs> Keegan-Michael Key has been promoting himself as like a wellness guru. He's written a book, if you will, and everyone is like either making fun of him for it or asking him for advice about it. Guz Khan is the comic relief character who is kind of offended by the whole thing altogether. This is a film that wants really hard to have the same level of broad, self-parodying comedy that I can't help but compare to Tropic Thunder, because yeah. I think that was the tone that this was chasing more than anything. But most of the time with the jokes, either went, I get it, but it, I mean, I can't even see how you thought on the writing table that was funny, or I literally didn't even get it. See, I'm a little <laughs> bit more kinder with the jokes. I think there are some that genuinely do work. Unfortunately... For every joke that did, like three more do not. And there are so many jokes crammed in here that like the joke machine in this movie is just relentless. And it's to the point where I don't even remember the jokes I laughed at. It's Apatow at his most unrestrained. And he is doing at face level the thing that everyone hates about Hollywood now, which is ironically the thing that he kind of created the whole let the camera run and we'll find the jokes in the edit, which did work for a while, but it seems that even he can't do that correctly anymore. And yeah, like so many of these scenes go on and on and on and it's like, all right, this was funny. Now it's not. Let's move on. And it's a consistent problem with him that it, he just lets things run on and it just kills any goodwill that you may have had toward the movie to begin with. Well, for full trans transparency when i saw the trailer i wanted to sign up because it looked like a train wreck that, tra <laughs> that trailer looks <laughs> okay. like it throws all of its best jokes at you and none of them stick so i'm like all right and i still got disappointed because this movie's just meh it couldn't commit to being good and it couldn't commit to being bad it was right in the middle because there were some funny moments with some of these actors i think it apexes when they all decide they're going to escape and one character gets their hand blown off and it's really not a big deal at all. No. Yeah. So within no. the, the setting of the movie, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, we should do something about that. When the security team's like, well, we thought she was a crazed fan. Running away from the Running castle. Running away from the castle. Yeah, great use of part of glass though in that sequence. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that was, it was a highlight yeah. for the movie, sure, because it, yeah. <laughs> it's Miley Cyrus's cover. Who she does a really good job covering that song. But yeah, this movie just ends up being meh. It doesn't find the Tropic Thunder vibe. It doesn't find a Get Shorty vibe. It doesn't find the Player vibe. It doesn't find any of those entertainment Hollywood send ups at all there's no bite to it these poor actors had to quarantine in what you can assume is a five-star historic english castle Ugh, yeah. i felt oh i i don't know if i could have done it had my meals no, all catered and all this shit for two weeks 
Well, that's the thing. The film can't decide if it wants you to feel sorry for these people. And on some level, it seems like saying, well, because we're saying that actors, you know, they have it hard, too. You really feel like it's splitting between wanting you to feel that and also making fun of actors for being too demanding and stuff. It's like the whole thing had an idea for a story and then just said, fuck it, we'll make it up as it goes along. Yeah. Like, everybody just, this is the basic idea for your character. Just, we'll, we'll, ju- we'll just figure it out as we go. I mean, it just felt like one big improv sketch. I don't think it asked me to feel sorry for them. It tried. I don't think it the did. The montage of them suffering, I'm doing air quotes, in their rooms, like... You see, I thought that was meant for us to laugh at them. Like, just look at how ridiculous and silly they are. I don't think... Well, I thought what the joke was going to be is they go through all the 12 steps of denial and grief, and we come back and it's been one day. No, it had been the two weeks. I think the movie tried for a second and then gave up on it, but I had that vibe of like, oh, this is hell on earth, and the joke was going to be they haven't even spent a day. I think the fact that it's so hard to tell whether or not they were trying to be serious is part of the problem. See, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, and I didn't think. Well, I didn't think this movie had a serious bone in its body. Like, okay, you're just you're just playing the joke. You're gonna play the joke all the way through, and that's gonna be it. Okay, so that's because it had no bones in its body. There is no structure to this film at all. Yeah, like these characters. Like, tell me, what was the arc of Pedro Pascal? Because he's one of the main characters in this film. I mean, things happened Gosh. to him, but. Why? What did they have to do with anything? <laughs> like, everybody is kind of that way here. I mean, at best, Gillen is the main character because she's the loudest about the situation that they're in sucks. Yeah. But g- question mark. And then there's like this scattershot of actors and actresses that I assume Apatow had on speed dial to show <laughs> up for like brief cameos. And half the time you're like, they're just distracting. Why is this even here? My wife watched it with me and she's like, Judd called in every favor he has. I guess that the Gillen character is the the main character solely because we spent more time in her vantage point than anybody else's. But this really is an ensemble. And I mean, like any ensemble, some people are just going to not going to benefit from being here. I think this is Pedro Pascal's lowest moment. Yeah. To be honest, yeah, no, I mean, maybe one of the low points of his career, but he was the yeah. highlight of the movie for me. For you, do you think so? Because I thought the women were more funnier, except for Maria Bakalova, who was just like, I mean, like, oh my god, they gave her nothing to do. No, but I think that Leslie Mann was great. I think Karen Gillan, she made me laugh. I thought she was she was fantastic. Um, it's not Iris app, is it Iris or Maude? Which one of the daughters? Iris. Yeah, Iris. I thought she was great. Her little weird friend was great. Iris Apatow, nod, is, plays a TikTok superstar who's joined the cast, and everybody's kind of like, Ew. only brought in for the name recognition on the poster. Of the sixth yeah. in an installment, that's probably four movies past. It's they've wrung <laughs> everything out of it. So I was like wondering, like, like I did not notice this, notice this until this movie specifically. It's like, when did he start writing for women better than he start writing for men in terms of comedy? Because I think like all the male characters in this movie like just fell flat. Like they were all just it's just nosedive after nosedive in terms of like either the jokes they were given or just the way they delivered them. But I thought everybody was kind of equally plastic here. I, I didn't feel like anybody was anything more than a cardboard cutout. The women have more to do. And that's the only difference. Not talking in terms of characters. And characters, everyone here is just as is, is flat as can be. But in terms of the jokes, I think that, you know, the women came across better than the men. Uh, out of all of them, Keegan-Michael Key seemed like he had the least to do or the least arc almost, mm. because they mentioned a couple times early on when we were learning his background that he's found some some kind of spirituality, whatever, and I think at least two people go 
dude, that's a cult or something. So where I thought it was going to go <laughs> yes. was where he was going to start converting some of the other actors and they're going crazier and crazier in quarantine and he like starts his own cult or something, but then it just kind of gets dropped and never brought up again. Oh no, it's brought up briefly to reveal it's bullshit that he had it ghostwrited and he doesn't even know what the foundations of, of harmony realized, I think is what it was called. He has no clue what it is because it was someone else's ghostwriter who put the damn book together, which is like a spoiler, but who cares? Yeah. Like, like there's no, again, there's barely a plot here. There's a setting and a basic idea. And that's about it. This isn't set in the real world on any level. There's nothing here that was really wildly surprising other than just how goddamn sloppy this gets at points. Yeah. And especially some of the third act payoffs to jokes where you're like, were we supposed to have forgotten about that type <laughs> stuff? Like there's a bit with a helicopter when I'm like, oh my God, get on with it. We watched the- I-, I guess they th- assume most people watch Netflix movies over the space of like a week or something. And so maybe they would have forgotten about the point earlier in the movie they showed us Keegan-Michael Key's very specific knowledge of helicopter flying so the joke would be funny later but what was that? Yeah like that scene would have been fine the setup for it was pretty clearly established that oh he can only do this one thing but it just kept going on and on and on it's like all right yeah and it's like you're just waiting for the joke to be over it's like someone in real life telling you a joke that you've already heard and it's like okay I did like the fight between Crystal Chris and her friend. It was choreographed well, shot well. It's probably the best for me. It's the best few minutes in the movie and felt more real than anything else in there. Their initial interaction... Uh, when they first meet is actually like pretty like hysterical. I, I like to, okay, cute. More attention is given to Iris Apatow again, raising one eyebrow in this film than any other character. Like the sequences where she's doing TikTok sort of music videos that are like these choreographed kind of cool musical sequences yeah. with the whole yeah. cast. And I'm like, dude, why didn't you just make more of the movie like that? That put those parts were cool. Once again, his daughter. Like as funny yeah. as it was to see these seasoned, somewhat serious actors like. David Duchovny, Pedro Pascal, doing all these exquisitely choreographed TikTok dances and like twerking and whatnot. It just kind of, there's one too many. And by the second or third one, you're like, all right, uh, yep. I felt like at the point of the movie, that was the high point of the movie. So if you're going to go back to the TikTok well again, why not do some other, like satires of other things people do on TikTok? You know, like like that that was. But anyway, we're overthinking. We're writing a new movie now and there's no point to that. (laughs) Let's go into final thoughts. Neil, get us started. (sighs) I wanted a train wreck. I didn't even get a toy train. (laughs) I'm not really going to recommend this to anybody. It's not a complete waste of time, but you're not going to get much out of it. Four out of ten COVID tests, because it's something I had to do, but it was a little bit uncomfortable sitting through it. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Frank? Yeah, this isn't going to offer any surprises. If you've seen an Apatow film, this is another Apatow film. There's no surprises here. There's no real characters. There's no real storyline. There's no anything resembling emotion or real life. Anyone that's seen an Apatow movie is not going to be expecting any of that um, if they've seen the trailer for this. There are some jokes. Some things are funny. There's a bit when they're shooting a big climactic sequence and they all get sick with a (laughs) non-COVID illness. And they all lose it on set and they're all hanging, they're all suspended. And it's an infantile joke. It's a vomit joke. But I laughed in spite of myself because it literally was funny. There are some funny moments in here. Unfortunately, that there are three or four non-funny moments that come really quickly afterwards that kill it. I think the women come off better here. Like a little throwaway glorified supporting role like Kate McKinnon when she's like jamming out to Beck. Oh, that was obnoxious. Right? (laughs) 
there's a dance sequence with Beck that's really just like, hey, Beck owes me a favor. That yeah. is the most egregious let's stop the movie for this scene since Macy Gray was in the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Yeah. I mean, Seriously. it was like, what the fuck is happening right now? There are jokes here. You need to be patient for them. But I would say that this isn't worth seeking them out. So, yeah, I'm going to give this 5 out of 10 Doris Day movies because it's her birthday today. She would have been 100. And really? We, yeah, we, we lost her three years ago. And, you know, the world's a lot less sunny without her. And so let's yeah. wrap this up because I got to go back to watching Midnight Lace. Rose. Yeah, I think I had the most hope out of all of us, it sounds like, going into it. Uh, because I, <laughs> I do genuinely like Judd Apatow. Uh, when he's good, he's really good. And, you know, this is like a very solid, stellar cast he's got put together here. But yeah, when I first started to play it and I had to hit pause for a minute to get something ready and I saw the runtime and I was like, Oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. It was so disappointing. It is an Apatow movie. So many things that went on for way too long and so many jokes that just didn't land really in terms of execution of of not just humor, but narrative and character progression and everything. It was just more misses than hits. And I'm really quite shocked at how not great this was. It honestly wasn't even all that good of a sit. I mean, I got bored plenty of times and kept like mousing over the progress bar to see how much longer there was in it and being disappointed every time. Um, If you want to watch it for any one particular actor, you think they might be funny in it, just wait for a compilation of their scenes to hit YouTube. I promise it will eventually. And I'm going to give it four dancing dinosaurs out of ten. I think we here and everyone on one of us who review or anyone out there who reviews movies is more familiar with the language of film and has seen more films than your average person. And I just think from the get-go, this movie is definitely not pointed at us. It's aiming way lower. It's (laughs) aiming at your average person who goes to see five or six movies a year total in the movie theater. And they're usually giant, big-budget things with, like, Tom Cruise or Chris Pratt in them or something. This is aimed at those guys who've never, maybe, never even seen a meta Hollywood film. If you're one of those people, let me just clue you in, this is a really, really poor example of it. There's You have such... Things waiting, amazing films waiting for you to see that are so much better than this. Tropic Thunder being a great step up if you've never seen that. Yeah, I was going to say, go watch Tropic Thunder. The Bubble is easily Judd Apatow's worst film that he's directed for me. Bottom of the barrel film that he's done. I mean, a lot of his films other people are critical of. I tend to be a little bit more of a supporter of. I mean, I really wasn't a big fan of King of Staten Island, but I thought it at least made sense Like, it had structure to it. You know, I believed these were real people on some level. This is, like I said, supposed to be absurdly broad, but it's just so rarely funny. Most of the jokes are super obvious. I was so bored watching this film, and I really didn't want to be. I was excited to see this. I was excited about the cast. I was excited about Apatow making this type of film. And I don't know, man, it's a big letdown like many other films that are about the making of bad films. I'm going to end this by saying I'm going to give this three out of ten exploding dinosaur dicks, which I can't believe I was the the person who claimed (laughs) that. Yeah. Do you guys, I gotta say, like, I <laughs> never checked the runtime of Power of the Dog one time. I checked the runtime so many times during, yeah. like, I kept hitting pause, like, how much longer have I got? Is this thing still oh. running? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, same. we've only done an hour. God, <laughs> yes, I'm only a third exactly. of the way through? 